Welcome to For the Love of Dharma. I'm so happy you're here. My name is Heather Love, and I'm one of the first certified Dharma coaches in the world. This podcast will help you be more joyful, remember your purpose, and live life on your terms. Get ready to get inspired. Here we go. Hi, friends. I hope your week is off to a great start. I know most of the world spent last week getting back into the swing of things with the new year, but I took an extra week off to relax and reflect, and I'm more excited than ever to see what this year holds. The new year is a time that many make resolutions. A common resolution is about money, whether it's to save more, invest more, make more, or spend less. As I mentioned in my last episode, the month of January is going to be focused on money and success. This will be a four-part mini-series where each week I introduce you to a woman living life on her terms and doing it unapologetically. You will find these women inspiring as they teach what they've learned about money and success on their own journeys. First up, we have the beautiful Coco D. She's a woman's wealth advocate who is no stranger to becoming a millionaire only to lose it all and then get it back and then lose it again. Failure was only feedback though. And today she teaches other women how to not only make money, but to be wealthy. She currently lives in Bali with her husband and one-year-old daughter, where she is a successful investor and owner of seven businesses. I can't wait to dive in. So without further ado, let's welcome Coco to the show. Hi, Coco. Welcome to the show. Hello, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to talk to you. You are in this beautiful, picturesque place behind you, and you told me you are in Bali. So that is exciting. Yes. Hello from Indonesia. What is your favorite thing about Bali? I actually grew up um, on an island in Tahiti, actually. Oh. And so it just brings me back to my childhood. And I recently have had a baby, and I wanted her to have the island childhood that I had. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. So the way I start all of my guest episodes is I have you choose either blue or red and I have a blue book and a red book and I will pick a question from whichever book you choose. Oh, this is juicy. (laughs) I'll go blue. All right. I'm intrigued. What will architecture of the future look like? Very interesting question given I was a property developer for quite some time. Oh, neato. Yeah. So I feel that, you know, at the moment, depending obviously where where you live, but typically the Western world, we have big homes, um, very big homes and potentially homes that, you know, we feel lost in. And I feel that the the new generations are really bringing community together. So I feel like we'll either keep our big homes, but have more people in them. And if you look at the Eastern cultures, they do, they, you know, they live in community. So where we might have a house with five bedrooms with five people, they might have 20 people. And I feel like that's where we're going. So the the houses are either going to stay big and we'll have more people in them or we're just, you know, there's a lot of small homes being built because we're seeing that we don't need all the things and the stuff. And I feel like as the population increases, you know, we're going to run out of land in certain areas. And so smaller buildings are going to be something of the future. That's what I feel. Yeah. And I don't know about 
anywhere else in the world, but in the US, tiny homes are becoming like all the rage where they're just these little three, 400 square foot pieces of, you know, buildings and they're adorable. Some of them are so cute. And I was like, well, I've got two kids and a dog, so I need the space for now, but someday maybe. Yeah, it definitely in Oz too. I'd say in the last eight to 10 years, it's been a bit of a, a craze as well. So I know that you said you grew up on an island, but I would love for you to tell my listeners, what was Coco like as a little girl? What did you do for fun? What was your personality like? So I'm the eldest, so I'm, you know, tend to be more, I wouldn't say more, but definitely outgoing. I I was definitely very bossy as a little girl. (laughs) My poor sister, I've just got the one sister and um, I actually danced the Tahitian hula. So I would go, like I was in a group and we would go to hotels and I danced from the age of two years old. Um, And, you know, because I was the youngest, I was always at the front and I just loved the attention. And it's something that I really want to get back into as an adult because it's just firstly for fitness, but also just for some fun. And, you know, my family, we, we had a boat and we would go, you know, all around the islands and with other families and stuff like that. So it was just, it was just a really cool childhood. And, you know, that's why for me, the subtropical weather is I love, and I'm not, a, I'm not very good in the cold. So hence why I'm in Bali, just the, the, the humidity and the heat is just what I love. And I thrive in actually. Amazing. I think I'm not a complete opposite. Well, I, I don't thrive in the cold either, but heat and humidity are not my friend. <laughs> I like not it. for It's not for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to visit Bali, but I, I think I need to find some place that's like 60 to 70 degrees year round with no humidity. <laughs> I'm sure they exist. Think, well, when you come to Bali, I would suggest coming between like May and say August because it's just perfect weather. In my opinion, there's not too much humidity. It's around... I'm not sure what Fahrenheit, but in degrees, it's about 25, 26 degrees, which might be what you mentioned. Sorry, listeners, I'm not sure of the conversion. I never remember what it is, so it's fine. (laughs) me too. So, yeah, but I mean, there's so many places around the world. But if you do come to Bali, please come and visit. I will. I will for sure. So do you remember what you wanted to be when you were a kid, when you grew up? Yeah, look, I always thought that being being a dancer would be really fun or an air hostess because I love to travel. And now, you know, when I'm in planes, I'm like, I can't believe I wanted to do this. Like, (laughs) I don't think I could do it. But one thing that I did have that's common in my life now is I had a love and a passion for money. I was so intrigued by money. And I was always asking my parents, you know, I come from a um, low middle class family. So, you know, wasn't born with a silver spoon and was always intrigued when mum was like, no, you can have this or that. Or, you know, you can't have, if you lose something, I'm not buying it again because I don't, I don't have the budget for it. And I'd be like, why, why do I have to have this or that? I'd like to have it all. Why can everyone else have it all? You know, and as a child, you don't understand. You just assume that everyone has it all. So, yeah, for me, that was definitely something that, that drove me. And I, I read a lot. I wasn't allowed to watch TV as a kid, so I had to be creative in other ways. Mm, so that is the perfect lead in. I would love for you to tell my listeners what you are up to these days. What am I up to? Well, um, I'm not sure if your listeners know about human design, but just to paint the picture a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I'm a generator two four. So please don't, I, I, I always lead in with that because I'm an energizer bunny and I'm just conscious if there's a reflector or a projector or a manifesto listening and they're like, Oh my God, how does she do it all? 
I'm just crazy and I'm a generator. So I just want to preface by saying that. I'm um, a manifester, so I totally you, appreciate yeah, 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 I have to say it because, you know, us humans, we're so wired to compare ourselves. And I just know, especially as women, we're constantly doing that. And we're like, oh, she's a better mother. She's a better this. She's a, and it's like, no, 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 no. Like we all have a different constitution and it's just so important. That's why I always lead with that. So what am I up to? I, as I said, love money. I'm a business fanatic. It's my lifeblood. I have seven businesses. I recently moved to Bali for lifestyle choice and I have a 15 month old daughter. I'm 36 years old. I said, tell, give the people all the things that I want to know when I'm listening to a podcast. <laughs> and essentially now I, I started my businesses when I was 18 years old. Obviously my fascination for money and businesses. My parents were always small business owners as well. So it, it gave me a taste and I, I wanted it a little bit more. But I also wanted to be successful. Not that they weren't successful. We had everything that we needed, but I always saw them work really hard for not much. And to be honest, that's how I started my businesses. I worked a lot, but I did make a lot of money. So I was a multimillionaire by the time I was 23. I had um, a large property portfolio and then I lost it all. I rebuilt, I lost it all. And now I'm in my third, third phase of rebuilding. And I know that I won't lose it again because of everything that I've, that I've learned. But one of the main reasons I know that I lost everything was because of my lack of self-worth. Obviously, I see that now in hindsight. It was all subconscious. And my mindset, you know, I knew very well had to build to a certain level, but I didn't have examples in my direct network of people going beyond what I had. So I felt like people wouldn't love me anymore. You know, again, all subconscious things, all stories we've heard before, but the reality for me. And I knew that if I broke it all down, I knew how to build to that level again, but I didn't know how to smash through that ceiling. I love that story. It's very inspiring. The fact that you became a millionaire and then lost it and then got it again and lost it. Like that's so inspiring because I think people hear all these stories of like people that become millionaires and then they lose it. And that's the end of the story. You know, then it's like doom and gloom. So I love that. And I love what you said about it being tied to self-worth because I find women especially have a really hard time talking about money. So I would love to know, do you think that I'm sure some of it is tied to how we were brought up? You just, at least in my family, you didn't talk about money. You didn't talk about how much people made. You didn't talk about how much things really cost, you know, those types of things. So I'm sure that plays a part, but I would love for you to expand on how self-worth makes it difficult for women to discuss money. You nailed it. I mean, you know, men will go out to a pub or a, a club. Sorry, I use a lot of Australian euphemisms or uh, sayings. That's but, okay. You know, the blokes will go to the pubs and they will easily chat about money and the salary increase they just got and money they made on the stock market. And us women are so we don't we don't have those conversations. We'll talk about anything else. We'll talk about, you know, how we gave birth and our cycle and what it looks like. We'll talk about all that stuff, but we won't speak about money. And I do believe that definitely it's it's our past and it's our epigenetics, but also we have to remember that a lot of women for years gone by have been ostracized for making money, have been, you know, if you were a businesswoman 200, 300, 400 years ago, you were looked down upon because women weren't supposed to do that. So again, it's that epigenetics. So it is a lot of, it takes a lot of work for us to undo it. And I know for me, I did the work for the last 18 years. I've done it. 
but I was just doing the surface because intellectually I understood it. I got it and I was like, I get what she's saying, but it's just, it's still not working for me. You know, I'm doing all the things I'm journaling, I'm meditating, I'm thinking about my thoughts. I'm trying to change my story and I'm still here. What are you doing that I'm not doing? And again, this is my story. It doesn't have to be your story, but I know for me, I had a hard wall up. You know, I was the superwoman that did everything. I had the, you know, on the outside, I had the perfect life. I kept it all together. And it's true. I can juggle a lot more than most people. It's just the generator in me. But I never allowed myself to be vulnerable. I never allowed myself to break down. I never allowed myself to feel the feelings. I never allowed myself to go to the deepest, darkest parts of whatever I was carrying, whether it's my stuff or stuff from past generations. And until I allowed myself to do that, which I really started doing that in 2016, I went and attended something called Path of Love. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it. It's a worldwide... Mm, I saw it one day on social media that um, actually Yoga Girl, I think she's got like 2 million followers. She went and she came back and she spoke about the experience and straight, I was like, I've got to do it. And then I looked in Oz and they only have it twice a year. And literally the next week was the next one. I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And so it's a seven day silent retreat, if you like to call it. And they just break you down. I can't, we're actually sworn to secrecy to talk about so that it keeps the experience sacred for everyone who attends. But essentially it took me, it's seven days. It took me five days to, to break down, you know, to, to actually open up and let myself feel the things that I was feeling. And that was the beginning. And then it just, you know, it's, it's, it's just been this constant unraveling but really allowing myself to do that because it's hard. It's easy to protect ourselves. It's easy to pretend like it's all fine and dandy. Another thing for me has definitely been trusting my intuition. It's something that as women, we can't explain. And having been in business a lot with men, you know, as I started to practice using my intuition, I'd say, I don't think we should make that decision. I just don't think it's, it's going to be good for the business, but why? What's the scientific, what's the, what's the formula? What's, I'm not sure, but I just know that we shouldn't do that. And slowly but surely, you know, being shown again and again and again. And the second time I lost all my wealth, I went again my, against my intuition. I still remember the time that I got the ping not to do the thing that brought everything down. And I went against it because my ego took over. That was the moment for me. That was the experience I needed. That was, you know, you get the feather, you get the small slap in the face, you know, and then it builds up and you get the bus and, you know, we've all heard that saying. And for me, it was the bus. I, I, I didn't listen and I got the huge bus and I, I just one day was like, I can't keep doing this. I actually know. And if I can't explain it, it doesn't matter. So now I practice. I still to this day practice with my intuition. If my intuition's like, make sure you take some water with you today. You're not going to find another shop or just pee. We don't know when the next toilet is. You know, small things like that. And if I don't listen and I, and then I'm like, if I can't listen to my intuition to grab a bottle of water on the way out, how am I going to listen for big business decisions or money decisions? That's so good. Yes. And I agree about intuition. I'm a huge advocate for people listening to their intuition. And I think it does start with those small things of grab the bottle of water, because once you start 
working with that trust muscle and making it stronger, then you can start to get almost like that trust with your trust muscle. And then you will listen when those bigger decisions come. I love that you went to a retreat and that you're sworn to secrecy. It makes it so much better. Um, But what I wanted to ask you was women are so programmed to be able to invest money in their families and their house and their businesses. But there is this resistance when it comes to investing in themselves. And I don't know if that's all tied to this same issue of self-worth, but I would love to get your thoughts on that. This is one that I'm very conscious about now that I have a daughter. And growing up, my mother was constantly telling me how much she gave up for me Mm. and for my sister. And it's obviously something that she learned as well. You know, she, we've got a great relationship. And so she has done a lot of work herself and she sees that the way she mothered us was probably not how she would do it now. I see that. And I see that we carry this martyr, like as women, we want to be the martyr because if we have the less sleep, if we have you know, the most things to do, if you know, whatever it might be. And I know I used to carry that with a badge of honor. Oh, my to-do list is five pages long. Yours is only four, you know, I win, you know, all those things. And so now I'm just really conscious that when I turn up as myself in, in, as a happy mother, as a happy wife, as a happy leader, it makes a huge difference. And I say that because I have turned up when I was in survival mode to my teens, when I was trying to keep everything together, when I thought that, you know, I could hide it all. But at the end of the day, your energy tells everything. Even if you have a smile on your face, people can feel your energy. Even when you're trying to keep it together and you're grinding your teeth and you're like, yes, everything is fine. And and people, you know, even when people are not intuitively in touch with their own emotions, we know how science has proven that energy is everything. And so even if you're not into the woo-woo, you can't argue that energy is, you know, is rules, rules the world, rules our life. So I realized, you know, before I had my daughter that, my goodness, if I keep showing up when I'm not good or, you know, even now these days, if I have a meeting and I can feel or I have a podcast interview and I feel that I'm not on like really on for myself and I'm exuding everything that I need to be for me and for the other person the listener, the person I'm interacting with is going to feel that. And then that interaction is going to, that's all they have of me. And so I'm so conscious of my energy now. And as much as it, it's still actually something, a practice for me, even, you know, uh, two days ago I was working and I'm, I thought, geez, if I keep, keep working and I, you know, have a lot to do, I have seven businesses. I, I can't, you know, you you have to redo the work because you didn't do it properly the first time. And, you know, but but because I was telling myself, oh, I, sh- I should really do this. I was like, no, go home, have a nap. Even though my, you know, back in the day, having a nap was being lazy. But now I, I'm like, I just go with the energy surges. And so I was like, I have to go and have a lie down. And I tell you this now because it's still a practice for me. Like I still have to call myself out. I'm a lot kinder with myself and I actually know now that everything always gets done. And as long as I show up and as long as my energy is really centered, then everything else works out because you, you know, you attract how you feel. I I know I became a shit magnet for many, many years because of my energy. And I was like, but I'm doing all the right things. How does this keep happening to me? 
but I was feeling like crap. I love what you said about being so in tune with your energy. I, right before I got on this call, I laid down for 15 minutes and snuggled with my dog and I kind of dozed off because I needed it. You know, I've been doing a ton of interviewing lately. And so I just needed it. And then, you know, when I get on, when I'm getting ready to sit down with someone to interview them, I always just sit down. I center myself. I close my eyes and I just say to the universe, you know, whatever message needs to come through for somebody to feel it, understand it, resonate with it, whatever, let that be the message that comes through because I don't plan any questions ahead of time. So, you know, I just want the universe to allow whatever is supposed to come through to come through. So I love that you said that. You said you have seven businesses. So I would love to know what does it take to make a business successful? Yeah, that's a great question. For those wondering, you know, how do I do it all? Look, I don't. I, I'm not the doer in the businesses and, and things started to shift for me when I stopped being the doer, feeling and thinking that no one else could do it the same way that I could. Now, to make a business successful, it, there's a lot of things, different factors that we need to consider to make a business successful. Obviously, a lot of people bring success down to your bottom line or how much you're turning over, but I feel like there's so much more to it than just money, even though I love speaking about money and making money, but it's very much about, you know, what's your culture? How do how do your staff feel? How do how do your clients feel about your brand? Do they refer you? Is it, do you get a lot of word of mouth or do you have a lot of turnover in your clients? Obviously, it depends on your business model. You know, are you investing in the growth of your business? Are you investing in your industry? Do you understand how your industry is going to evolve? If like the evolution of business is changing so quickly these days and it's changing faster than we've ever seen it before. People want to set up businesses and hope for passive income. We hope that it's just going to allow us to make money and then we never have to think of, about a set and forget type of model. And the truth is that doesn't exist. Passive income doesn't exist. Whoever's selling you passive income, I'm sorry to break it to you. It, it's not real. It's called residual income. But passive income doesn't exist because, again, it's that energy piece. Whatever you love on, it's like a relationship. Are you going to have a friendship that you never speak to, that you never t- talk to them, you never interact with them? Do you think that friendship will last? Yes, we have friends that we only speak to once a year and it's like we've, you know, we've never left. But there's a reason why that's th- that way because there was strong foundations set in place long ago. The business is the same. And for us, we all have this fantasy that res- uh, the passive income and the set and forget structure is, you know, we're all fo- trying to find that secret source to a business that's going to allow us to sit on the beach and drink cocktails. And the truth of the matter is it, it just doesn't happen, especially with how quickly business is evolving in every industry. We have to have our finger on the pulse. And if you as the business owner or the shareholder do not love on your business a lot, then that's going to be reflected in the way that your clients show up, that your staff show up. And, you know, you might have a couple of good years where you don't have to do anything, but because you're not doing anything, the business will go away because of that that evolution piece. So it's kind of like this jigsaw puzzle, I feel. There's just not one aspect. Do you have out of your seven businesses, do you have a favorite? Like, is it like asking you to pick a favorite child? Like, <laughs> that's a really, that's a really cool question. I've never thought about it. They, they're all so different. They're all in very different industries. Obviously, some I own a hundred percent, some I don't, some I'm just a shareholder, but I, I involve myself a lot because I love operations. Do I have a favorite? 
No, I can't say that I do. I think on different days, maybe I do, you know, like, oh, I don't want to work on this today or I'd rather, you know, focus on this one. But overall, I, they, they all give me something different. And what t- give us an idea of what some of your businesses are. Yeah, of course. Um, so I've got obviously my personal brand. Um, I've got an investment portfolio. I've got a construction company, a childcare, commercial cleaning company. Very varied. And for me, it's important to have variety of cash flow and income streams so that depending on what happens in the market, you are still okay. Because as we know, majority of us have one income stream, that's our J-O-B, which is fine. But what happens when we lose that J-O-B, we crumble, emotions take over, we can't think properly. And so over my time in business, I know that and I've realized that it's very important to have multiple income streams. You know, being a property developer for so long, it's very cash flow poor being a property developer. It's your ego loves saying that you're a property developer and it sounds very, you know, swanky, but the reality of it, it's a hard work, it's a lot of risk and the cash flow is not there. You ha- you, you only get paid every two to three years and your profits are only realized depending on what happens to the market in the back end of your project. So for me, after being a property developer for so long, I was like, you know, it's time to look at cash flow streams because whilst sometimes the big payouts are great, you know, there were times where I broke even and I worked for three years for nothing. Hence the varied industries that I'm in. Mm, I love that it's so varied and different and it just makes it that much more exciting. And like you said, when you get tired of working on something, you can change to something else. But you mentioned that you have your own brand. So I would love for you to just talk a little bit about that and how people can work with you. Thank you. So I coined myself an astroeconomist and a women's wealth advocate. And and my passion is to talk about money and how money can be made and especially wealth, because uh, I think a lot of us mistake money and wealth as one thing, but a lot of people make a lot of money, but they don't have any wealth because they don't know how to manage their money, which is huge. And building legacy wealth is, for me, I find it really fun. And I think it's something that we can all do. You know, some people choose to build wealth and then give it all away. There's no right or wrong. It's however you choose to do it. But my passion is to really bring financial literacy and the option for women to be able to do whatever they want to do with money. I see so many women stuck in situations that they don't want to be in because they're worried about money or they don't know where the money comes from because, and you know, we all grew up wanting to be the princess. We all grew up being told that just, just marry a rich man. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not how I want to live my life. I'd like to, if you haven't, already can tell from this interview, I like to be in control and, and know what, you know, the decisions that I make. And I think it's really important for women to have those choices because for me, money is about choice. A lot of people say money gives them freedom, but for me, it's the freedom of choice. If I choose to work 24 hours, seven days a week, then I choose to do that, whether I have the money or not. But the choice for me is very important. You know, I hang out on Instagram. I hang out on Facebook. You can find me at I am Coco D, D double E. I have a podcast as well. um, And I'm starting a YouTube channel, which will have so, I really want to have a lot of free resources for women to, I find, you know, a lot more people are speaking about money, but I still feel like there's a lot of woo-woo. There's not much practicality. So a lot of people are talking about the mindset and, you know, wealth codes and I don't know, all this weird stuff that people talk about. Um, I'm sure you've heard of it. It's neither right or wrong. It just doesn't sing. It doesn't gel with me. But I think the mindset is definitely important, but not enough people are speaking about the upside. It's the practicality. 
So you could have the right mindset. The energetics of it could be really good and you could be making a lot of money. But if you don't know what to do with the money, then you're not going to know how to keep it, which then means that you're constantly going to have to be making, which can be exhausting because wealth is about creating a strong foundation so that that money continues to make more for itself rather than you having to show up. Now, if you're someone like me who loves to work, it's completely different, but it's still important. If something happens to me today, the money still needs to be able to work for itself. So that's my passion and um, what I love to speak about. Mm, So what are the biggest mistakes that you see women making when managing their money? Mm, Emotions. We, a lot, a lot of us, too many of us make emotional decisions when it comes to money, or we make decisions from our ego, keeping up with the Joneses. You know, we want to have the latest thing because, well, you know, then she'll accept me or then she'll, she'll think I'm cool, but definitely emotion, you know, the, the ego is emotions, but the emotional part, I always say money and emotions are not friends and they will never be friends because I look at my whole 18 years of being in business and investment. And the one thing that's always failed me has either been my emotions or emotions of investors. That makes so much sense. So I will link everything in the show notes for my listeners, but what is the name of your podcast? It's called Keep the Change. It's got two years worth of episodes I haven't recorded for about 12 to 18 months, but I'm back in the studio now. So there'll be a whole you know, lots of new episodes coming out in the next four to six weeks. Can't wait to have that. I also have a five-day free mindset, uh, money mindset reset. So I'll send you the link for your listeners as well. Amazing. I am sure many people will be very interested in that. Before I let you go, I like to ask my guests five rapid fire questions, meaning you don't have to, (laughs) you don't have to answer quickly. Just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. And it's just a way for my listeners to get to know you a little bit better. Perfect. What is your favorite birthday or holiday memory, either yours or someone else's? Oh, wow. Okay. The the birth of my daughter comes to mind because it was such a crazy experience. And then she just had her first birthday recently. And I think that's just like a full circle moment as a first time mom, mm. you know, the first year. And so that, that was only just in June this year. So that was, that was nice and special. And we also had it as a goodbye f- with all our friends because we were moving to Bali. Mm, that is very special. And yes, first birthdays are like amazing. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, it's like I made it. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word play? Having fun, dancing, you know, laughing with my with my family and my friends. Mm, back to dancing. I'm always up for a good dance party. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Your favorite way to show up for yourself as it relates to self-care. That's a, that's a good one. And it really depends on how I feel or the time in my cycle or what's going on in my life. Being a two, four in human design, the two line being a hermit, I really do need a lot of time alone. So whatever I'm doing, as long as it's by myself and it's, you know, especially now that I'm a mother, I see that I need that even more. So yeah, as long as I'm by myself, even if I'm just working by myself with no one around, it it makes a huge difference for me. Mm, I love that. What does the world need more of? The world needs more laughter, really. Like we just need to have more joy, more fun. Um, We're so serious about life. Yes. I say that all the time. I'm like, we take everything so damn seriously. I'm guilty. I have been there, but now I'm really like consciously trying to just be more lighthearted. 
Yeah. Same. Like I was definitely very, very serious for a good chunk of my life. And now I'm like, what? That's such a waste. Like there's so much fun to be had out there. Totally. And more patience, you know, that comes with when you, when you've got more joy and and happiness in your life, you're so much more patient. You you know, I used to sit in lines and be like, oh my God, I don't have time. Now I just, now I'm like, whatever, it's fine. Oh my gosh. That reminds me of a story and I'm getting off base a little here, but I was in a Walmart, which I don't know if you guys have those in Bali, uh, but a big box store. And there was only, I don't know, one or maybe two, I think it was one checkout lane was open. And there was a guy losing his mind behind me because the line was so long. They were standing there and all this other stuff. And ever since the pandemic started, we've been really short staffed everywhere around here. And you're going to wait in line no matter where you are. And there was music on and I'm just like dancing and whatever. And I think I said to him, like, if you don't like it, leave. Because I was just in kind of a feisty mood, but I was just so pissed off. I was like, you know, calm down. It's not that serious. You're going to be checked out here in like five, 10 minutes. You're going to be okay. And it's not the person's fault too, like at the checkout. Yeah, it's true. Last question. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, exactly what I just said. Chill out, girl. Chill out. Yeah. Like have more fun and just, just don't take life so seriously. Like there's a part of me that's glad that I did because I am where I am and I have the choices that I have today. But at the same time, you could have still done that and just had, and just chilled out a little bit. Mm, (laughs) That is such great advice. And Coco, you have been so much fun to talk to. You are so inspiring and I cannot wait for my listeners to get to know you a little bit better. Thank you so much for having me. I love what Coco said about money being a choice. We always hear the saying that money can't buy you happiness, which I 100% agree with. And what it can do is bring you the freedom to make choices in your life that you may not be able to make without that money. That freedom of choice definitely helps in the happiness department. The other thing that we talked about in this episode, and I'll continue to talk about, is that there is more to wealth than money. The Google gods define wealth as an abundance of possessions or money. But in case you didn't know already, just because it's on the internet doesn't make it true. True wealth is more than just stuff. It's about being rich in mind, body, and soul. Having the resources to nourish all parts of your life. I really believe that. And when we're wealthy, we are able to be of greater service to others which raises the vibration of the planet. Just something to keep in mind. Coco is back in production with her podcast, Keep the Change. So you can find the link to that and all the other ways to connect with her in the show notes. I appreciate you joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you would give me a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Have a magical day. This podcast episode is brought to you by Prompts to Purpose, my free workbook that will help you stop spinning your wheels and start remembering your gifts. Inside, you'll find 25 journal prompts to get you thinking about things in a new way so that you can find your purpose and start living the life of your dreams. If you're ready to dive in, get on my email list by clicking on the link in the show notes or in my Instagram bio, and I'll send it over. Come on in and see what everyone is talking about. 